going to begin by saying to you, it's important, I know it seems like a routine, but it's important to fill this out every week, this connection card, it's in your bulletin, it helps us to know of your presence, and if you'll notice on the back, we've changed a little bit uh, to help us uh, be more connected as a body, as we get bigger, as we grow with the Lord's help, uh, it's good for us to, to know and to be connected with each other, and so if you can do that for us, fill that out. Turn it in in the offering plate when we do that a little later, uh, and that'd be great. <clears throat> Something there is that doesn't love a wall. So begins Robert Frost's great poem, Mending Wall. I've loved that poem for many years. <laughs> I can't ever look at or think about that poem without remembering an experience from my childhood. Uh, my brother Scott is 19 months younger, and uh, we went through a phase. We were uh, probably five or six, and... Uh, we, we played with Hot Wheel cars all the time. Some of y'all know what those are, right? And so we would, we would uh, make tracks for our, our uh, cars through the grass and uh, that kind of thing. Well, there happened to be uh, to the uh, right of our property, because uh, we lived on a hill, there was a retaining wall. It was nice. It was uh, mortared and, and built with stone uh, between us and the neighbors. And my brother and I decided it might be a good idea if we uh, took that wall and, and made a track in it. And so we diligently dug out the mortar from the, the stones and made a beautiful track for our cars. And, you know, my dad was very easygoing and calm, but uh, I remember how excited he got about that, uh, that we had tore down his wall uh, to, to make place for our matchbox cars, uh, track for them. Uh, maybe you have some experience like that, uh, but walls is what Robert Frost talks about. He talks about what I think is very uh, much our human nature, to build walls. And how, in particular in this poem, he, he pictures two neighbors who, uh, I think up in New England, uh, have a property that adjoins, and, and every year in the spring, they go to their wall that's between their property, and they, they begin to rebuild it. Because during the year, uh, different things have conspired to to topple stones and boulders off the wall. Some, it's hunters, they say, as he talks about in the poem. Maybe they're looking for rabbits that have gotten in uh, the wall. Uh, or others, it's just the elements have conspired to, to knock the walls down. So they pick up stones on either side, and they mend the wall. They fix the wall. But toward the second half of the poem, he gets into the heart of it. And I I want to read this to you and, and say to you, it's so much something we need to hear today because I believe God wants to speak to us about the building and the tearing down of walls. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, there where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine, that is, he has all pine trees, and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head, why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here, there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out. And to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him, 
but it's not elves exactly. And I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone grass firmly by the top in each hand like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness as it seems to me, not of woods only and the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's sayings. He likes having thought of it so well. He says again, good fences make good neighbors. No reason for the wall anymore if neither one of them is running livestock. That's the point. We build up walls, and I think it causes us harm. As a culture, as a nation, as a church, as a community. Why is it that we want to build up walls? I I can think of four reasons. I think we build walls out of fear. Fear that perhaps someone will come in and hurt us. Fear perhaps that we will go out and do something we shouldn't. We build walls for pride. To keep what is ours, ours. We build walls out of prejudice because we believe other people, uh, for whatever reason, maybe it is their socioeconomic class, maybe it is their race, maybe it is their nationality, maybe it is their religion, that somehow we need a barrier between us and them. And a lot of times we have walls built out of tradition just because. We've always done that. Now, I I feel blessed to live in this community uh, because I've lived in places that were more walled than this one. I've lived in places where there were many gated communities where people uh, kind of went into their houses and and locked the gates at night and locked their doors at night because they were fearful of crime. You can understand those fears. I also have lived in other communities where it was much more divided because of some of those factors we talked about before. There was the right side and the wrong side of the tracks. There were a a healthy population of different religious groups that distrusted and didn't like each other. There was racial division. But having said that, I, I know even in this community, because all of us are human who live in it, that there are probably walls that exist in our lives, walls that exist in our hearts as we look around us. And I believe God wants to tear down the walls. We've come in the section of body life. Remember, we're talking about in Ephesians uh, both the body of Christ, the church, and what it's to look like. Also, what individually we, as our own bodies, live out our life here. What are we are to look like? What are we are to to feel like, what we are to think like. We've come in that study to Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, and I think Paul has firmly in mind the wall, a particular wall that existed in the early church. You see, the early church first uh, reached and was mostly comprised of people who came to Christ out of a Jewish background. People came to Christ uh, who had been Jewish. And so those people who were schooled in the Old Testament, they, they brought a lot of those customs, a lot of their preconceptions of what spiritual life was to be from their Jewish heritage into this world. And then uh, as we see the book of Acts unfold, we see that the 
body is expanded. The gospel is not just for people who have a Jewish background. It's also for people who have a Gentile background. Now, for most of us in this room, we have a Gentile background. We didn't grow up Jewish. And so we can identify with the Gentiles, and we can see that there is a possibility for division. In fact, it was very much divided was this culture. You think now of the great divisions that perhaps exist around you. Are you for Kansas or Missouri? Are you for Republicans or Democrats? Are you divided? Do you have preconceptions about others who are not like you? They pale in comparison. I can't stress to you how deeply rooted, how savage and vicious was the division between the Jewish people and the Gentile people in the biblical times. And in that setting, Paul talks about the work of Christ in bringing peace where there's division. The work of Christ in tearing down the walls that divide. And first he says, Christ ends our separation. Christ ends our separation. Now in this passage, two relationships are at work. It's the relationship individual people have with God, and it's the relationship people have with each other. So it's both talking vertically, our separation from God, and our separation from other people horizontally. And so he begins verses 11 through 13 like this. Therefore, remember that you who formerly, uh, formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love verse 13. Once you who were far away now in Christ, have been brought near. Friends, I, I think if we could remember just that one verse, we could remember how much God loves us. We could remember how much God wants to bring that gap that separates us back together. Now, what separates us from God, what causes the division between us and God is, is our sin. It's our propensity to do what we want to do and not what God wants us to do. It's our propensity to be strong-willed and self-centered and to do the things God doesn't want us to do or to not do the things God wants us to do. And because of that, that choice to do our own thing causes separation from God and us. And I've told you before, I'll tell you again, the consequences of that sin, according to Romans, is death. The consequences of that sin causes negative things to happen in our lives, negative feelings to happen in our minds, uh, 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 damage to our self-esteem. What this says is Jesus is able to bridge that gap. Jesus is able to close that separation. You know, in the temple of the first century, when the Bible was written, the New Testament was written, in the temple... There were many walls. In particular, there was a wall 
historians and researchers tell us there was a wall between what was called the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Israelites. And both in Greek and in Latin was written on those walls very prominently. Anyone who crossed into the court of the Israelites who wasn't Jewish could be punished by death. See, they took seriously that division. Much of the New Testament writings, if you understand that one fact, you can understand where it comes from. Uh, you, you understand that the Jews called the Gentiles dogs and other uh, names that weren't very, uh, very uh, satisfactory, weren't very pleasing. Likewise, the Gentiles had much enmity for the Jews. And so not only does Christ in these verses bring us, clo he closes that separation between us and God, uh, but also he brings to us a common entry point. You see, so oftentimes, uh, I think we want to make ourselves feel better by looking down on others. We want to make ourselves feel better by seeing the weaknesses or the flaws in others. And so in our prejudices, so in our divisions, we, we somehow divide ourselves and, and feel better about ourselves with our flaws and weaknesses by pointing out the flaws and weaknesses of others. What Paul is saying here clearly is that none of us have any right to feel any better than a, another because all of us were lost, all of us were far away, and now we've been brought near by a common faith in Jesus. It's not by our, our financial background or our financial means that we come near to God. It's not by our good looks or lack of. It's not by the degree of our intelligence or lack of. It's not by any characteristic that we are more acceptable to God than but faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Christ ends our separation. Uh, this verse is also going to say Christ enables our reconciliation. Christ enables our reconciliation. One of my favorite words, reconciliation, although I hate doing it every month when the statement comes. I then see all those debit card purchases I probably should have made, and I have to, uh, to come account for those. But I have to match up what was on the bank's record with what's in my records and, and make the two balance. Well, reconciliation is balancing ourselves with God. As we say, it comes through Christ. And Paul wants to make that point absolutely clear. Verses 14 through 18. It says it like this. Can you change the screen a little? Uh, <clears throat> it says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one. Who's the two? The Jews and the Gentiles. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations. His purpose was to create him in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Three important truths you need to hear and see out of those verses. First, in Christ, we have peace. In Christ, we have peace. This not only goes to 
uh, having forgiveness for our sins, having salvation, which I think it clearly is, is making that point. But I even more think that there is such a lack of peace in most of humanity today. You read survey after survey from sociologists and psychologists. They talk about the, the degree of discontent in our society, the degree of what they term loosely as mental illness, of depression, of discouragement, of suicidal thoughts. And you have to understand from that many folks, even though they might appear happy on the outside, many folks are desperately lacking peace in their inner life. Maybe that's you today. From Jesus, he himself, he is our peace. I think in finding our worth in the fact that God made us in his image and that God has a plan and a purpose for us, as we come to him by faith and we live by the leading of the Holy Spirit that he gives us, as we believe and are baptized, then I think we can find that peace. In fact, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. Another place in the New Testament, it says that he gives us a peace that passes understanding. If you're lacking peace, you can find peace best and perhaps peace alone in Christ. In Christ, we have peace. With Christ, we make peace. With Christ, we make peace. You see, not only are we to accept and to have this peace with God uh, through Jesus Christ, but I think we also then begin to make peace around us. One of my favorite Beatitudes is Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You turn that around in inference and you see that if somebody is a child of God, then they're going to be interested in making peace. They're going to be interested in seeking peace. In looking at perhaps not so much for what divides but what unites. Friends, I know this is a difficult concept because so oftentimes you can try to make peace as best you can, but to make peace takes two, doesn't it? But I think you need to understand what this is saying is that not only will we make peace because we'll desire peace. You'll do what you can to make peace with those around you. If they choose not to accept it, you can't do anything about that. But you will do your best to be a peacemaker. You will do your best uh, to bring together those divisions. A after all, the great leveler, as we've been learning here, the great leveler is our faith in Christ. So if someone thinks a little differently about the music that we play in church that shouldn't divide us. If somebody wears different clothes than we would wear at a church, that shouldn't divide us. If somebody thinks a little differently about this current issue or this current issue, but we're both believers, we can find peace there. You see, God's church should be full of peacemakers. That's what I take from these verses. That's what I take from that beatitude. God's church should be full of peacemakers. 
You accept that peace from God. You understand that it's not of our own doing. It's not of anything we do in work, as we talked about last week. But you understand that it's all grace for us. Then you extend grace to others. We have Christ. Christ is all sufficient. In Christ we have peace. With Christ we make peace. Through Christ we have access. You see, all that you need to be a peacemaker, you can have through Christ. That's what it means in verse 18. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. God gives us his spirit. God gives us his spirit so that then we can have the enablement to not respond in retaliation when someone angers us. Uh, to not continue to escalate a, a cycle of hostility and division when somebody angers us. You think back to a lot of the, the arguments perhaps that you've had in this past week. Maybe with your spouse, maybe with a child, maybe with a parent, maybe with a coworker. What really was it about? What really did it come from? And then, most tellingly, how much was the spirit a factor in your argument, in your division? Frankly, I can tell you, because we're fleshly creatures, because we're emotional creatures so oftentimes, when we turn or we put the spirit in the back seat, we get in those arguments that then become divisions that last, rancor that continues to bear fruit much after we forgot what we divided about. Hmm. All of those causes for building up walls, all of them come from the fleshly part of us, don't they? Fear, pride, prejudice, tradition, <laughs> those do not come from God. They do not come from the Holy Spirit. They do not come from those who have Christ in and through them. Through Christ we have access. Through Christ we have all the power that we need to have peace, to make peace, to tear down walls that shouldn't be there. What a beautiful thing it is now to look at the country of Germany you might remember Germany for many years uh, because it was under, a, at least part of it, under the control of Russia in the division of the country after uh, the end of World War II. Uh, the decision was made to, to divide Germany into East Germany and West Germany and even the capital city into East Berlin and West Berlin. There was a mighty wall there that ran right through the middle of the city. And it was heavily wired. It was guarded with soldiers with guns. You could not cross the wall. So for years, some 40 years, Berlin was divided. Families were literally divided. If they happened to have lived on the east side and the others on the west, they were divided from one another. You might remember in 1987, President Ronald Reagan made a speech at that wall. The Soviet Union was undergoing change, and a man named Gorbachev became their prime minister. And in that speech, he summarized his words by saying, Mr. Gorbachev, 
tear down this wall. And a year later, that vision became a reality. That wall, which once divided family, which once divided nation, which once divided city, that wall was torn down. And they were free again. So oftentimes we think, as Robert Frost was alluding to, we think that walls are for our good <laughs> when they really keep freedom at bay. They really keep confidence at bay. They really keep peace at bay. They really keep contentment at bay. You see, God means for the church to be united, separate but equal. Yes, we can have our differences. Yes, we can have different beliefs in the things that are gray in Scripture. Yes, we can have different ways of dressing and different music that we like and different beliefs about those areas that aren't directly addressed in Scripture. Christ means for his body to be diverse, his body to be varied. And that doesn't weaken us, it makes us stronger. That's the point he comes to, does Paul, in verses 19 through 22. He says, Christ enriches our fellowship. Christ enriches our fellowship by bringing people from a Jewish background and a Gentile background together, by bringing people who look differently together. Verses 19 through 22 read like this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see that? That's the ideal that God has for his church. That's the ideal that God has for his marriages. That's the ideal that God has for his families. That's the ideal that God has for his people who come together in church community. We are different, but we are united by the bond of the Spirit, as he'll say a little later in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I want all of us today to think perhaps about wars that we fight that are wasted. I want us all today to think about perhaps walls in our life that hold us back instead of move us forward. I want us all to think today about which walls in our life need to be torn down. Now, if you don't know the Lord, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ by faith, then I think it's going to be very difficult for you to have peace. Without God, I don't think there is peace. But if you've made that decision, or if you need to make that decision, we'll have an opportunity for that. But if you've made that decision, then really you have all that you need, I think, to make peace. Don't keep fighting wars. That should not be. Canada and the United States have long been the best of friends. You think about it. In North America, in fact, in much of the world, there is no longer border than that is shared by Canada and the United States. And there are no border guards 
There are no fences. There are no walls. We are great friends with the people of the great white north, Canada. It hasn't always been that way. During the War of 1812 between the United States and Britain, <clears throat> the Americans crossed the border and destroyed York, which is the modern-day Toronto, a beautiful cosmopolitan city today, but destroyed its predecessor. The British retaliated by burning Washington, D.C. Finally, on December 24th, 1814, Christmas Eve, representatives of the two countries who were meeting together in Belgium, they signed an armistice called the Treaty of Ghent. Sadly, the news of that peace in those times didn't travel fast. It was delayed. And on January 8th, 1815, some two weeks after the peace treaty had been signed, the Battle of New Orleans took place. More than 2,000 people lost their lives in a totally unnecessary battle because they were ignorant of the peace treaty. <laughs> I find great truth in that illustration from history. Great truth that we listen to. Great truth that we heed. Great truth, perhaps, that we need in our lives. Something there is in us that doesn't love a wall. I think it's God. God doesn't like walls. And he doesn't want us to have them unnecessarily in our lives. Father, we thank you for this time to share together and to hear from your word. I pray today that you've given us illustration, you've given us light to live by. I pray today that we would apply your word where it is needed. Perhaps if we haven't made that decision but we're ready, perhaps today is the day of salvation. Today is the day the peace begins with you. The peace begins with others. For others of us, perhaps we've gotten into situations where we've bowed our neck. We've gotten into situations where we don't want to make peace. I pray, Father, we would move in that direction. For those of us who do have separation in our lives between others and have tried to make peace, I, I pray, Father, that you'd give us uh, the peace to know our hearts. I know it's painful to seek peace and not have it. But let us do what we can do as you're leading us through your spirit to be peacemakers. For then we will be called the children of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.